All right, that's it for today. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for coming. That was an awesome me study. They were really learning. Yeah, it was great. Hey, I wanted to tell you something. What's up? You are gonna be so proud of me. Guess what happened earlier? So this one guy had asked to meet me, and when we finally sat down, he launched into this ridiculous list of things going on in his life right okay. now. So my job offer fell through last week because on the way to the interview, I hit a mailbox. Why? Because my wife of four months calls me and tells me, hi, I'm pregnant. What? Okay, so I freak out. I spill coffee on my lap. Then she tells me, oh, by the way, I've been stress eating candy all week. So now she has to go to the dentist because she has a root canal. So I got to figure out a way to pay for that. And then, meanwhile, I've been stress eating my Kit Kats, which are awesome. But then my dog ate the rest of my bag. Wow, he's going through a lot right now. He's just confused about how to move forward. He needs a plan. And God is the one with the master plan. So... Meanwhile... I just, I'm lost. God has a plan for your life. It's right there in the Bible. You said what? I know. You're impressed. But it's all thanks to you. Um, I didn't say that. I'm pretty sure you did. I am a minister after all. Yeah, I'm the Bible, and I didn't say that. Okay. I still think I'm right. Well, I'm so thankful to see all of you in person here at the North Richland Hills campus or all of you that are so faithful to watch us online every week. Thank you so much for that. As we continue a rather unique study of the Bible by asking ourselves what the Bible doesn't say. Now, a few months ago in a sermon, I revealed that my wife and I do not drink alcohol. Now, that's not a judgment if you do. It really isn't. It's just that we have no knowledge of what would make, for example, a good versus a cheap wine. But what I've learned is that people that do drink don't have as much knowledge as they think they do. So a man named David Schumann, who's uh, involved in the wine industry in Napa Valley, recently wrote a book called 99 Bottles of Wine. And he was interviewed on national public radio on how to sell wine. He just said it's all in the packaging. People will consistently pay much more than a bottle of wine is actually worth if you just put gold foil on it and fancy lettering and give it a nice tactile touch. You will trick people into thinking wine is much better than it really is. And it goes beyond just the look. So they did this uh, research where they took a $5 bottle of wine and a $90 bottle of wine and put them both on a table in front of a taste tester with two cups. And they poured the contents into each cup and asked them to say, which glass of wine tastes better? And consistently, the people said, the more expensive wine tastes better. And they weren't just saying that, their brain was telling them that because the pleasure centers in their brain were more active when they drank the uh, wine from the more expensive bottle. But here's the trick. They had poured $5 wine into both bottles. They were drinking the exact same wine. But the brain was telling them one was much better than 
the other. Now, here's the point. I said last week that we underestimate our capacity to overestimate ourselves. And this is especially true when it comes to our capacity to discern deception. We're not nearly as smart as we think we are. We will think something has more value just because it looks like it does. And we will think something is more true just because it sounds like it is. And many things sound true that are not biblical. In fact, some are unbiblical. And so I really want you to come back next week as we consider the popular phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Is that in the Bible? And in two weeks, we're going to take on one of the most popular maxims of all. Everything happens for a reason. Really? We say things like this to encourage people who are going through a tough season. And another thing we like to say when they are in a tough place is, just remember, God has a plan for your life. So my friend Dave Stone pastors a church in Kentucky. And for a season, he invited some area pastors to come and work on sermons together. And one of the men who came was a guy named Wayne Smith, who's a friend and a wonderful pastor in Kentucky. But Wayne has always struggled with his weight. And the doctor told him to stop eating sweets. So Dave was surprised one day when Wayne came into the office carrying a big box of donuts. And Dave said, Wayne, I thought the doctor told you to stop eating sweets. And Wayne said, oh, he did. But you know the donut shop is on a very busy street. And as I was coming here, I prayed, Lord, if you want me to stop and buy some donuts, then let there be an empty parking spot right in front of that store. And Dave, you're not going to believe this. But the seventh time around the block, there it was. And it's comforting to us to believe that God has our future so meticulously planned out like that. But is that in the Bible? Now, some of you are ahead of me. You're thinking, okay, preacher, last week you said, follow your heart is not in the Bible and you're right. But I know the Bible says God has a plan for your life because I've got a verse that says so on my coffee mug that I bought at the Christian bookstore. And here's the verse that's on your mug. It's from Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Four times God says, you. So it's important to know who is you. And God is speaking to Israel 
through the prophet Jeremiah, all through that book, warning them of upcoming captivity because of their rebellion. But God also reminds them that even though they haven't kept the covenant, He will. And that the captivity they are about to experience will not last forever. So look at the verse right in front of the verse on your coffee mug. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so God is reaffirming his covenant, not because they have been good, but because he is good. And if you read your Old Testament, you'll know that after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians and King Cyrus of Persia let the Jews go home just like God had prophesied through Jeremiah 70 years earlier. So what can we take from this verse? What we can apply to ourselves is confidence in the truth that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy, that God keeps his promises. But it is a big jump. To go from a national promise to Israel to a personal expectation that God has my future all mapped out. That notion comes from a theology called Calvinism. Let me explain. There have been two competing theologies in the Christian church for 2,000 years. Calvinism focuses on the sovereignty of God. And I love my Calvinist friends because they really emphasize that God is in control. The other philosophy is Arminianism, which focuses on the free will of man, that our choices have consequences. Now, is this church Calvinist or is this church Arminian? The answer is yes, we are. Thank you very much. Because the truth is, every Christian I talk to is a Calminian. Now, here's what I mean. No matter how Calvinist you think you are, you look both ways before you cross the street. And you teach your children that their choices matter. And no matter how Arminian you are, when life goes crazy, you comfort yourself with the knowledge that God is still on the throne. And so we all live believing in both, and we should. The problem comes when you take either theology to an extreme. And sometimes that happens in what I call hyper-Calvinism. And people start saying, God is on the throne. He's ordered and structured and mapped out every detail so that all of life happens just like God wants it to. Now, when you go that far, you've erased free will from men And you just made God responsible for all the evil in the world. And all those boys dying of starvation in Africa. And all those little girls getting sold into sex slave industry in Asia. Or going through that because that's what God scripted to happen. And I don't think we want to go there. In fact, I beg you. If you're ever talking to a mother who just lost her child to a drunk driver, please 
please don't say, well, I know this is hard, but you just have to accept God's plan for your life. Now, I do grant that in the Bible there are certain moments when God does seem to have a real particular calling for a particular person. So how can I know if God has scripted a particular call for me? Well, if you're walking in a field and you see a bush and it's burning, but it's not burning up and it starts to talk to you, God has a specific plan for your life. Okay? If you're a virgin and you get pregnant, Just go ahead and assume that God has a specific plan for your life. If you're walking down a road and there's a bright light and a voice speaks to you and it's Jesus and you are blind for three days, you can assume God has a specific plan. But most of us are going to live with more options and less clarity. Because I see God more like a football coach and less like a builder. Let me explain. Look at these two pictures. Now, this guy is building something. He's got a blueprint, and he is meticulously studying every detail because you can't get a detail wrong on a blueprint or the whole plan is messed up. Now, this guy's a football coach with a game plan. Now, try to overlook the fact that he's the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, which means he is evil. (laughs) But a football coach prepares a game plan. And inside that game plan are lots of ways that he has scripted for his team to respond depending on what the other team is doing so that he can reach the ultimate goal, which is to win the game. Now, which of these two is the best illustration of how God operates in the world? And you might think it would be more comforting to know that God is working off a blueprint for my life. But I want to challenge that. For one thing, it makes knowledge more important than obedience. If God's plan for your life is a blueprint, then you must not move until you get clarity. You can't do anything for fear that you might do the wrong thing and mess up the whole plan. But the Bible does not emphasize clarity as much as it does obedience. And most of the heroes in the Bible experience great challenges and even great setbacks with very little understanding. You can start with the very first book. Noah is told to build a boat. And he's never even seen a flood. Even more mysterious is Abraham being told to offer his son to God as a sacrifice when that son is the promise. Even more mysterious is Joseph, who won't compromise his sexual purity and sleep with a woman of influence and winds up thrown in prison. And he has not heard a word from God and he has no clue what his future holds. But all of these people are held up as heroes of faith because they did what was right and obeyed God even though they didn't understand what the future would hold. 
A hero of faith from our generation is Mother Teresa, who said, I never had clarity from God. I just had trust in God. And many of the details that we fret about in the future are not nearly as important to God as being obedient today. A while back, I counseled with a man who was angry at God. He was in a financial mess because of some poor investments. And he was angry that God had not given him clarity about how to handle his money. And in the course of our conversation, I learned that this man, for over 10 years, has led what the Bible would call a sexually immoral life, consistently breaking covenant with his wife to sleep with other women. And the thought came to me, why are you mad at God for not giving you clarity about how to spend your money tomorrow? When you won't obey God about a matter he's been very clear about today. And the irony is that it is the path of obedience that actually leads to more clarity. The psalmist says, all God does is just and good. All his commandments are trustworthy. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. And so it's not, okay, God, give me understanding and then I will follow. But the Bible says, follow God and you will get more understanding. Because faith always calls for obedience in the face of a future where you don't know the outcome. Here's another problem I have with the blueprint model. It makes God seem like a control freak. Now, I absolutely affirm the sovereignty of God. But I don't believe that means God must be a micromanager. In fact, this depiction of God that I do not think is in the Bible has caused many people to be angry at the God of the Bible. Think with me. You say, I got engaged. I'm so thankful for God's plan. We're pregnant. Praise God for his plan. I got that great new job because of God's plan. My cancer is gone because God has a plan for my life. What did that just say to the precious, faithful, young, single woman That no one has asked to marry. To the godly young couple that can't get pregnant. To the faithful brother that just lost his job. 
or to the sister whose stage four cancer is not going away. I believe God in His sovereignty still allows all of us to experience the fallenness of this world. That rain falls on the just and the unjust. I also believe that God in His sovereignty gives us, dignifies us with the capacity to make choices. Choices that have real consequences. And this is, in fact, one of the greatest evidences of his love for us. And parents get this because you moms and dads know that you do not love your children by taking all freedom away from your children. A good father directs the steps of his kids, but he does not dictate those steps. Because he's got his eyes on the big picture. Who are his children choosing to become? And we have a good, good father. He's not a control freak. He's not a dictator dad. He's not a micromanager. But he does have a game plan. That no circumstance or tactic of the enemy can frustrate. And so we're familiar with Romans 8, 28 that says, We know that in everything God works for the good of those who love him. They're the people he called because that was his plan. Everything that happens is not good, but God can work good in everything. He can call audibles. He can run new plays. It doesn't matter what the enemy is throwing at you. God can work. His plan can handle it. Because God is keeping his eye on the big win. And what is the win to God? Very next verse. God knew them before he made the world. And he chose them to be like his son. So that Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. It's not that God has a micro plan for each of us, but God has a macro plan for all of us to be more like Jesus. Because God's big plan is to make a big deal out of his son. And that leads to my biggest problem with the blueprint idea. It makes you the star of the story. The reason blueprint theology survives in our culture is because our culture bows down to the idol of individualism. The idol that tells every worshiper how special they are. And God has a plan for your life appeals to that fallen part of my nature that wants life to make a big deal out of me. But the reality is, I'm not the star of God's story. 
And we need to be very wary of these brands of discipleship that focus on you. We live in a culture that worships consumerism. And sadly, the easiest way to grow a church in America is to make the customer happy. And so churches market themselves. We're the church with you in mind. Look at the great programs we've designed for you. Look at all the events that you will enjoy. Because it's all about you. A simple way to illustrate this. What is the single way most Christians evaluate a worship service? They ask, what did I get out of it? Something is very wrong. When we leave church asking, what did I get out of it instead of, what did I put into it to honor God? Because the story is not about you. And the unappreciated and even unpopular truth is Christianity. For most of us, for most of our lives, is just the daily grind of trying to be more like Jesus in small inconspicuous, unapplauded ways. It's being more patient in line at the grocery store that's going too slow. It's listening well to that person telling you the story that they could have finished five minutes ago. It's saying a kind word to someone who will probably forget it a minute later. It's not getting angry at the person on the road who isn't driving the way you wish they would. It's making sure your neighbor has a hot meal because the mother is sick. It's forgiving quickly, even though they don't deserve it. It's serving over and over and over and over again to people that never say thank you. Discipleship is doing a whole lot of stuff that never winds up in the credits. Because God's plan is not for me to be the star. It's for me to imitate the star. He makes it clear in the very next verse. God planned for them to be like His Son. And so, God doesn't care so much where you work, but 
how you work. Not so much where you live, but how you live. Not so much if you get married, but how do you treat the person you marry if you do? Because a good father focuses on who his kids are choosing to become. And so the big deal to God is for us to live lives that make a big deal out of Jesus. Let me get real personal. I think about what my next chapter will be, and I have no clarity. Unless Jesus comes back quickly or I die suddenly, my last chapter will not be preacher at this church. So what will the next chapter be? I have no clue. Will it be another role at this church? Will it be preaching at another church? Will it be mission work? Will it be mentoring young preachers? Or will it not even be in a professional ministry? I've always wanted to try to join the senior PGA. And not as a golfer, as a caddy. I, I think I could carry the clubs of a real golfer. Or maybe I'll be a greeter at Walmart. You see, I have lots of options. I have no clarity, but it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter what I wind up doing in my next chapter. I'm going to make Jesus look good. And that's God's plan. Because Jesus is the plan. He is the one person who had a specific plan for his life that revealed God's great plan for every life. Look at Ephesians 1 with me. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything. Say everything. Together under the authority of Christ. Everything. Say everything. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God is in control. God is on the throne. There is a creation in rebellion. There is an enemy overthrown. And let me tell you, God is going to work out his plan. And the day is going to come when every knee is going to bow, when every molecule of his creation is going to submit to the reign and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. And as evidence of his great love, God has invited you and me to partner with him in this plan. And there are so many ways you can partner with God. There are many paths you can choose, but they all have the same destination. The exaltation of Lord Jesus in your life. Because Jesus is the plan. So, live on purpose. 
And tomorrow might bring cancer or it might bring healing from cancer. It might bring a job or it might mean you lose your job. We don't have clarity about tomorrow, but we have a purpose that no matter what happens, we can pursue. And let me tell you that most of what's going to happen tomorrow is going to be small. Because you and I are not the star of the story. We're the extras in the story. But just because what you do is unnoticed, that doesn't mean it's unimportant. About a year ago, my wife and I went to see a movie called The Monuments Men. And it tells a true story of how when the Nazis took over France, they began to steal millions of dollars of precious art. And there was an art enthusiast in Paris named Claire Simone who didn't know what she could do in enemy-occupied territory, but she hated what was happening, so she just began to make a catalog of all the stolen art. She kept meticulous records. She put a sticker on each piece, not knowing if it would ever matter, not thinking anyone would ever notice. And then one day, an American named James Granger showed up, and because Day after day after day, she was just faithful doing something that seemed so small and unimportant. What was wrong was set right. And Jesus is coming back. And the enemy will be defeated. And all those small, unnoticed, unapplauded ways that you tried to be like Jesus will matter and he will look at you and he will say well done you can plan on it now I want you to bow your heads and pray with me because every one of you right now has some part of your life where you lack clarity It might be about a health situation. It might be about a relationship. It might be about your job or your finances or one of your children. But you lack clarity. I'm not going to ask you to pray for clarity. I'm going to ask you to pray for the strength to be obedient. So that you will make Jesus look good no matter what the future holds. That's what I want you to pray for right now. Oh God, you are on the throne. Your plan is unstoppable and unshakable and it will be completed. And we thank you that we can play a role in your great purpose. We don't need more clarity, God. We need more strength and faith to be obedient. And so help us that tomorrow, no matter what comes... We will look like and point to Jesus. 
for his sake. Amen. Let me ask you all to stand. We have prayer teams downstairs and upstairs to minister to you, to pray and give a word of encouragement about something that's going on in your life, to receive you if you're ready to confess Christ and be baptized. Because God is a good, good father, and he cares about who you're becoming. So let's worship him.